0: What is up my dudes welcome back to olympia oddities or if you're new here welcome to olympia oddities Uh, i don't really have any pre-show notes today except for the flying saucer party that i went to a few weekends ago it was the event that was down in uh, chehalis it was right around when i did that kenneth arnold episode because i put that out right before it happened it was awesome probably my favorite um little like alien ufo event that i've been to around here Everyone was, like, really nice and in a great mood, they had the museum open and you could go in and, like, look at, like, there was, like, a funeral hearse, which was awesome, or, like, stagecoach, and they had an iron lung, which I thought was super cool, I had, like, geeked out over it. Um, I ended up getting this really cool shirt that's, like, I think it says Cryptid Crew on it, it's got, like, Bigfoot, the Flatwoods Monster, Mothman, and I think Nessie on it, it's a new favorite, but let's get right into today's episode. Today, I'm going to be telling you the story of Washington's first prison, a place of unimaginable suffering and horror, Siatco Territorial Prison, aka Hell on Earth. The town of Bakota, Washington was settled in 1854 by Aaron Webster. He built a sawmill upon the local river. In the 1860s, Aaron Webster sold his property claim and mill to Oliver Shedd. At this time, the town took on the name Siatco, a native word meaning haunted place or devil place. The Northern Pacific Railroad set up a stop in Siatco in 1872, helping to further expand the town. At this time, the entire Washington Territory lacked a prison. At this time, prisoners were kept in, er, kept incarcerated in jails run by local sheriffs. Uh, the sheriffs usually got about a dollar per day per prisoner, and security at these jails were questionable at best. In 1878, the Washington Territorial Legislature authorized a six year contract with Thurston County Sheriff William Billings to build the first territorial prison in Seattle. The prison at Seattle was established by Pierce County Sheriff Jeremiah K. Smith, Thurston County Sheriff William Billings, and Territorial Gover- Governor Elijah P. Ferry. With private funds provided by a businessman oliver shed according to bokoda the little town with a million memories by julie mcdonald Xander, the contract also required billings to house feed and clothe the convicts caring for any who grew sick recapturing any who escaped and employing them in suitable work he could keep the profits from the lawbreakers labor the prison would cost taxpayers 75 cents per day per inmate when it was finished With construction, the prison was 40 by 100 feet, three stories tall, and constructed of Douglas fir planks. The cells were located on the first floor, with a narrow staircase coming down from the second floor, providing the only access to them. A guard stood watch on the landing at all times. The second floor held a kitchen and dining area, a tailor and shoe shops and quarters for the guards, and for the occasional female inmate. There were thirty-six cells in total each designed to hold three inmates they were eight by ten feet and the narrow iron barred window each one had did little to combat the eerie darkness that the prisoners were forced to live in imagine sharing eight by ten feet so that's about the size of a horse stall with three other dudes Ugh. the cells were unheated and the only bathroom provided was a bucket in each of the cells so you're not just living with these three dudes in this tiny little horse stall sized area. You're also sharing one bucket between the three of you. Ugh. Yeah. No visitations were allowed and access to clergy was forbidden, which was incredibly unusual for the time. This is a time period where a lot of prisoners or a lot of prisons were founded by religious folks who were interested in religious reform and repentance. Gwen Whitting, lead curator at the Washington State Museum, noted. By the end of 1879, 30 inmates were kept at Seattle Prison. Part of the contract said that they could take the inmates and put them to work, and they would receive any profits from what they did, said Whitting. Basically, they were paid to house and feed them, and then on top of that, they were getting the money for the labor from the inmates. Because those that ran the prison got to keep the inmates' wages, they would make them work 8 or." Er, nine to twelve hour days regularly. According to Xander, work included cutting firewood, clearing roads and land, or helping at local farms, other times toiling in shed sawmill, a brickyard, or at the newly formed Seattle manufacturing company making sashes, doors, and blinds. They also worked in the prison shoe and tailor shops, made casks and barrels in a copper shop, cooper shop, and cut wood for the railroad. They attempted to have the inmates work making bricks and mining coal, but this gave them too many opportunities to escape, even surrounded by guards with guns, so it was a short-lived endeavor. In 1884, several of the inmates had managed to get a local news outlet's attention to the horrid conditions that they were living in. The Puget Sound Herald ran a piece detailing conditions at Seattle, helping lead the prison to its eventual closure. In 1890, a former prisoner of Siatco, George France, wrote a book that detailed his experience there, Struggles for Life and Home in the Northwest. He wrote, When the prisoners came in from work, the sight and clatter of chains was deafening and damnable, nearly all being in double irons, riveted to their legs, wearing them day and night, sick or well, all of the time. So the prisoners' entire lives while they were kept there, they were kept in leg shackles. When they're out working, they're like, wearing these legs, I just, ugh. It's horrible, horrible stuff. I can't even imagine living like that. One story tells of an indigenous woman who killed her husband and was forced to live in a shack outside of the prison with her three children. Siatco Prison finally closed for good in May of 1889, 87, sorry, 1887, and the 93 prisoners being kept there were loaded onto trains and sent to either McNeil Island or Walla Walla Penitentiary. After the closure of the prison, the town of Siatco changed their name to Bukoda, uh using the first two letters of the three principal investors in local industries, Buckley, Coulter, and David. In 1907, the prison building finally burnt down completely. It now has a commemorative marker in its place. The site is listed on the National Register of Historic Places. A mass unmarked grave for the Siatco prisoners who didn't make it out alive because of suicide, illness, or being shot in escape attempts, is located at the Forest Grove Cemetery in Tenino. Now, every October, the town of Bokoda transforms into Bucoda, featuring a haunted house, ghost hunting tours, casket races, and more. If you're looking to get your spooky on this Halloween, it's definitely the place to be. Thank you for listening to another episode of Olympia Oddities Podcast. I know this was a short one, there's not much information on Siatco Prison out there, really. But from the little information that I did get, I was like, this is horrible, and more people need to know about just how awful the conditions were and, you know, kind of the dark local history of where I'm kind of from. Uh, if you want to support the podcast, feel free to leave me a positive review or follow the Facebook or Instagram for the pod at Olympia Oddities Podcast. My sources for this episode were good old Wikipedia, Revisit WA.org, um, the Bacotas page, Wa- the Washington State Archive of Corrections Department, Penitentiary, Convict Record from 1877 to 1888, and Thurston Talk, Bacotas' infamous Siat code pris- Territorial Prison, uh, KNKX's article, Hell on Earth, a forgotten prison that predates McNeil Island, and a Daily Chronicle article on this. Until next time, friends.